0: This morning, we get to finish the book of 1 Corinthians, and believe it or not, we have been studying this book for a year. It's been almost one year since we first started it. And after we finish this book, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to take some time off. It's been a long time since I've taken time off. I don't remember the last Sunday I took off. I I think it was last year uh, sometime. So, you know, this coming weekend, if you can keep it in prayer, is my father's... uh, services. And so I'm going to go up to Modesto and then um, just kind of take some time to think things through and uh, fix some things around the house probably. And uh, you guys are going to be blessed because whenever we have uh, this church open, everyone that comes up here, they're going to teach you the Bible. And so you're going to be blessed But uh, again, I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but uh, keep me in prayer. And keep the funeral in prayer because I want the Lord to reach my unsaved family. That's really the the main thing I have. Of course, we want to grieve. We want to mourn. We want a certain aspect of closure. But at the end of the day, it's just primarily about people who need Jesus. And so that's where I pray even you would focus your prayers. But... Today is kind of a a fitting study to finish to be honest because it's about the church and in in many ways It's about the church being strong and you guys are going to see it It's not like a a neat outline, but the two things that stand out to me is number one how we have co-laborers in the church You know how we have someone like like timothy or apollos or or these other guys and and then you have uh, commands for the church and so uh commands these are kind of like the, the the last words uh in, in the letter so they're they're uh inspiring words they're um they're they're forceful words they're really good words for us to hold on to as a church because as you get strong as we get strong as when when I say strong, like Henry was saying, dependent on Jesus more like jesus i'm not talking about a Pharisee I'm talking about strong like jesus you're you're a loving person, you're a good representative of Christ, you pray for people, you know, you're in the word. I want to encourage you. You know, be honest. Are you are you listening to all these podcasts and and different things that news more than you are listening to God and just reading the Bible? I have a hunch that there are people out there they're just spending hours on that stuff and maybe a few minutes on this. I mean, if you're going to listen to that more, then I would say do this more. <laughs> really, um, because I think that's how we become strong. So as a church, you've got these co-laborers and you, and you have the commands. And, and so we read in verse 10, it says here, and if Timothy comes, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. And so, uh, of course, you guys know that that we need each other. Uh, Paul needed Timothy. uh, Timothy needed Paul. They needed Apollos in one sense, because God uses people in our lives. That's why some will say, "Well, we don't need to go to church, you know, cuz it's a personal relationship with God." No, the Lord established the church. The Lord gave son to be evangelists and apostles and pastors and teachers and you know, musicians and sound servants and ushers and and all the people, I, every single one of you who are serving. We need you. Where would we be without you know, the people that God has brought into our life, the ones that will encourage us when we're down, the ones that will pray for us, the ones that will stand in the gap for us. You know, we need each other. And so Paul says, okay, I'm sending Timothy to you. And when he arrives, see that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. Um, Maybe he's telling them, don't intimidate him. Because Timothy, uh, in a relative or, or, uh, I guess you could say, comparative sense in, in the day, was considered to be young. Uh, he, was under, he was under 40 years of age. And so in those days, you know, they, he, he may have been seen as young. And so he says, when Timothy goes to you, accept him, embrace him. Why? Well, it says right there in verse 10, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And I think that it's kind of cool. Even just that what he does, that he does the work of the Lord, but it's also how he does it. Paul says, because he does it just like I do. And I and I think that's cool. You got these guys in this church that do the work of the Lord. That's what they do. They're here. They're served. Some of them, you know, we get paid, but we don't do it for a paycheck. We we do the work of the Lord, and some don't get paid, and they sacrifice their time, and they do the work of the Lord. A lot of you here, that's your heart. You do the work of the Lord. Paul here says he does the work of the Lord as I also do. And I think probably what he's also saying there is that Paul uh, Timothy does it the same way I do. And it's interesting, Philippians 2, 19 through 20, uh, Paul wrote to the Philippians and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. And so one of the things about Timothy that Paul had in his heart is, I know this guy. He really cares about you. He said, I don't really have anyone else like that. These guys are hard to find. Guys that are there not for the position, guys that are there because they really care about you and so when paul is sending timothy to corinth he says hey when he goes accept him embrace him he does the work of the lord just like i do and i think that he's saying there he really loves you he really cares for you and that at the end of the day as a pastor as a leader you're going to have imperfect people and you're going to have uh people that maybe aren't as good as as someone else in in whatever it might be. But the one thing that you're looking for most is that they really care for you. They really love you. And and they do things, you know, the same way. I mean, it's kind of cool. Even I was thinking of Pastor Chuck Smith and... You know, how uh, he did ministry. And in all honesty, I think at the end of the day, um, even though we do ministry individual, as individuals, we do have some models. And I love the philosophy of ministry that Pastor Chuck Smith had. He didn't ask for money. He prayed. He gave opportunities. But the Lord blessed financially. And so sometimes you see churches and they're asking for money or they're pushing for people to give. And, okay, that's between them and the Lord, but that's not our way we do ministry. You know, and Pastor Chuck, I mean, he didn't get really political. You listen to his studies over and over again, and, you know, he would mention a couple of things here and there, but not much. All he primarily did was teach the Bible. Why? Because when you teach the Bible, people get stronger. If people learn the Bible, they get stronger. And what ends up happening is families get stronger, and that impacts society. That's the healing that we need for the hearts. You know, there are people who don't like others because of their skin color. I mean, there are individuals like that, right? But at the end of the day, uh, and we're seeing it, and we just have to be honest about it, probably the biggest problem in our nation among any race is the absence of a father. And we know that even among black Americans. That is a huge issue. So how how can we keep dads home? Well, there's a lot of things. So there's a lot of answers. But primarily, it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm committed to my family until the day I die. Why? Is it because I had that model? No, I didn't have it but I have the word of God. And we go through hard times, but no matter what, I will be there for my wife. and I will be there for my kids. It's the gospel that changes lives. It's the gospel that, you know, brings that, that family uh, unit together. And that's why it's so important that we do things God's way. He says, when Timothy goes there, Make sure that you don't, uh, you know, intimidate him. And so again, they may have despised him because of his youth. First uh, Timothy four twelve it talks about that. But it also, no, something also about Timothy is Timothy was timid. You read in Second Timothy one six through seven how he says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so he says, Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. Uh, don't be afraid. And so a combination of Timothy being a little timid and maybe the people seeing him as young, they're saying, hey, when he comes to you, embrace him, encourage him, accept him. Because even though he's timid, he's going to need that encouragement. He does the work of the Lord as I do. And so he says at the end right there in verse 10, um, verse 11, therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me i'm waiting for him with the brethren and that's probably them him saying to them when timothy goes uh, honor him and send him honorably in the sense of help him out on his journey financially so we got these co-laborers in christ and it's just so cool how the body works together And, and then the next guy he mentions in verse 12 he says now concerning our brother apollos I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has the convenient time. And so you got Timothy and you you got Apollos, and there may have been questions about Apollos because Paul says now concerning Apollos. And so they probably were wondering hey, Paul, when's uh, Apollos coming? And so interesting, you know, Apollos, we first saw him in Acts 18.24 when he was there in Ephesus, and he was preaching uh, the Old Testament eloquently, but then he was pulled aside by Priscilla and Aquila, and they taught him the word, the gospel, more accurately. And so it was so cool to see this guy, very gifted as a speaker, open to be taught, and then they sent him to Corinth. And then he went to Corinth, and he was used by God in a mighty way there in Corinth. So much so that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I planted the church, but Apollos watered. And then God gave the increase. And so, really cool story with Apollos. This guy was so brilliant. Uh, sometimes I think maybe he's the one that wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm not sure. But he's mentioned seven times in 1 Corinthians. And one of the things that they mentioned in 1 Corinthians about Apollos was that some were saying, well, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Peter. And so some of the people started lining up behind these guys, and that's a dangerous thing. But in spite of that, Paul uh, wasn't, like, insecure. He wasn't intimidated by him. And I thought it was kind of cool, Paul saying, hey, you guys want Apollos to come? I urged him to come. But he said, no, not right now. It's going to be a a time where it's more uh, convenient, where it fits in my schedule. And just reading in between the lines right there, a couple of things I see about Paul's leadership style. First of all, he wasn't threatened by Apollos. Uh, Paul was not a divisive leader. He saw the value of teamwork. And so even though people were, you know, doing that thing, saying he's my favorite teacher, Apollos is my favorite teacher, Paul said, I wanted him to go to you. I wanted him to go, but not right now. But eventually he will. So I like that. Secondly, Paul was not overbearing. Commanding, but not demanding. He was a diligent and excellent leader, but he also gave others the freedom to follow the Lord. And I like that. You know, uh, sometimes you can get a leader and they say, well, he's not strong enough, or we're going to see later on that we need to be uh like Abraham Lincoln who was con- he was described as being both velvet and steel i like that you know one commentator said this this verse spells, bears eloquent tribute to the fact that Paul conducted himself not as a master but as a partner with others who labored in ministry and so again you got some co-laborers you're seeing how the church is strong this is how it works I pray that all of you here would know that you have a part in this church. I mean, your prayers, your presence, your gifts, there are things that you have that I am so grateful for. And I want to encourage you. We're going to talk about this. It's it's time to step up and find out how am I supposed to be involved. Because we we see now as we're looking at the co-laborers, and we'll come back to it, some commands. These are like the five commands that Paul ends the letter with. In verse 13, he says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Now, it's kind of a bummer. You can't see it in the English language, but in the Greek language, uh, which is a very precise language. Like we have one word for love. They have five words for love. It's very precise but in the Greek language, this is what's called a present tense imperative. And what that means is in the Greek language, you can tell by the prefixes and suffixes that it is a present tense command. It means it's a continuous command. So keep on watching, keep on standing fast in the faith, keep on being brave, keep on being strong. Let let all that you do always be done with love. And so real quick, five things. Number one, watch. So be on your guard. Stay alert. Be watchmen. Be watchwomen. Always be working and awake on the watchtower. The Greek word is rooted in the concept of, you know, waking up and rising from your sleep to, to pay attention. Now, I, I'm not, you guys know I like to play on words, right? But I'm not inaccurate in saying that if you're going to pay attention, you're going to have to pray attention. We see most clearly when we pray. When you're on your knees, God shows you things. That's why Jesus told the guys, you know, remember when he went up to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, come, let's go, let's go, let's pray together. Watch. Pray with me for an hour. But he described it as watching with me. Watch with me for an hour. Why? Because when you pray then you're paying attention. And the Lord begins to show you these things. You have to beware, you guys, lest through some sort of spiritual slump or slumber, some destructive calamity suddenly overtake you. So we need to watch of the wiles of the enemy. You know, 1 Peter five eight says, Be sober, be vigilant. Same Greek word. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so usually when lions are hunting, they're going to try to find the, 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 the prey that's uh, kind of separated from the herd or the, or the flock, and they're the ones that are vulnerable. And so um, the same Greek word, we have to watch for the wiles of the enemy, the roaring lion. But it's interesting, we also have to watch for the return of the Lord, and he's the ruling lion. And the same Greek word is used in Matthew twenty four forty two, or Matthew uh, twenty four forty three, and other places. Revelation sixteen fifteen, where God says, "Watch, because I am coming." And so Paul is saying the same thing. Number one, watch. Number two, stand fast in the faith, or stand firm in the faith. Persevere, persist, endure, never let go. Don't go backwards. Grow forwards, and you know there's always this debate people have as far as once saved always saved, and you know we I, I, I kind of believe what I believe what Pastor Chuck Smith said, that I'm eternally secure, as I abide in Jesus Christ, and so the word abide it means to rest, it means to remain, and so I don't know, like all I'm saying is like you might be here, and, and you know you're you're a Christian. And what we're saying to you is just keep coming, keep believing, keep praying, keep walking with Jesus until the day you die. Because sometimes we see people who are here and then they fall away. Now, their whole spiritual history and geography, I don't know. You you split hairs. You go over the doctrine. All I know is that you have to stand fast and firm in the faith. And that's why we read here in First Corinthians fifteen, look at verse one. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, and in which you stand. That that you stand in the gospel. So he's saying here to stand fast in the gospel, to stand firm in the gospel, to stand fast in the faith. But then notice what we read in first Corinthians fifteen, fifty eight. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. And that's what he's saying here. Don't let anyone move you from your faith in the Lord. And like I told you before, I really believe that the, the way that you're most protected, not to go back, is to grow forward. And so he's saying, watch. You know, and stand fast in, in the faith. It's so important to Paul that he wrote this. In 1 Thessalonians 3.8, he said, For we now live if you stand fast in the Lord. And t- what is he saying right there? He's saying as a pastor, as an apostle, that that's my life. That is so important to me that you stand fast. He's saying it's not going to be easy. So number three, you need to be brave. You need to be brave. Literally, uh, it says to be a man, but contextually, it's to a church consisting of both men and women. He's telling them to to be brave, to, to be courageous. The whole world will tell you no, but you go against the flow. You know, you're going to have to stand up, and we're going to see, we're going to have to fight. And basically, it's kind of like go to battle go to battle spiritually Uh, and like i I said i think part of it is you getting involved in ministry you finding where god wants you to serve sometimes people are afraid to serve and paul is saying no you have to be brave there's so much to the christian life that requires courage and then he says to to be strong and so not simply courageous to go to battle, but strong to win the battle. You know, the, the words, be strong, you see it 30 times in the Bible, over and over again. And uh, Ephesians 6.10 is one that we're familiar with. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, apart from the Lord, we have no strength. I've told you guys a million times that we're no match for the devil. But but he's no match for the Lord. And so when he's talking about being strong, he's talking about making a choice, a decision, that by faith I'm going to operate under the anointing and the power and obedience to God's word. It's there that I find my strength. Here in Ephesians 6.10, it refers to the fact that because we're in a spiritual battle it's to fight, and more than in all reality it's a war, Not against men, but against demons, against the cries and lies of the enemy. We have to understand that we need the Lord. And so you wear the whole armor. You read there in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We fight against fallen angels, against the fallen world, and against fallen bodies. So we need to be strong. It says in Deuteronomy 36, and of good courage and there is those combination of words again paul i mean moses says do not fear nor be afraid of them for the lord your god he is with you He is the one who is with you he goes with you he will not leave you nor forsake you and so it makes a big difference knowing the lord is with you i have nothing to be afraid of i'm not afraid of the riots i'm not afraid of anything You know, if I make a statement and someone comes against me and blasts me on social media, that's okay because the Lord knows he's with me, right? I mean, this is how we live. The reason we're not afraid is because we know that's what Moses says. God is with us. And notice it says right there, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. The whole world might leave you. But he himself never will. And if we got the Lord, we have nothing to be afraid of. And as we're going through life and the Lord is with us and he'll never leave us, then uh, we get to know him. It's interesting. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32b, it says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And so the Lord is with you. Now get to know Him. If you know Him, you're going to be strong. God's going to do amazing things through and in and through your life. Just like Daniel. Just like Daniel. And so Paul wrote to Timothy in knowing God that you're going to know how gracious He is. And he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we need to Get a really good grip on grace. It's not our strength. It's not our wisdom. It's not our righteousness. It's not our anything really, other than our weakness, which prompts us to call upon Him to help us. You know, recently I, I think it was Biden who said he believes that 10 to 15 percent of uh, America Americans are, are bad, and uh, I. He's got to know his theology. We're all bad. Everybody is bad apart from the Lord, right? We're all wicked. The Bible says in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is uh, de- deceitfully wicked, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. So I know who I am apart from Christ. I don't trust myself apart from Christ. But in the Lord... Then this grace that covers me, that changes me, if there's anything good you ever see in anyone, it's Jesus. See, It's grace. You get a good grip on grace, and then when you understand your weakness, you call upon the Lord, Second Corinthians 12:9, it says, "And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, notice, is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, Paul said, Most gladly I will boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so when that person finally says, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I, I'm not skilled enough, I'm not like righteous enough, I'm not holy enough, when that person sees their desperate need for Jesus, then they get saved, and then they get empowered. And then God uses their life. The last thing he says of the five commands, he says, "Let all that you do be done with love." And so it's kind of a uh, funny Paul is saying, you know, watch and stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And then uh, the first four I think could easily fit for the fighter in the battlefield, rough, gruff, tough soldier. But then imagine the commander then saying at that point, "But I want you fighters to be." lovers but that's what he does as a matter of fact it's interesting you guys probably know this that i think probably the heart of first corinthians is chapter 13 which is a chapter all about love it says that you might be the most gifted person in the world but if you don't have love you're just a bunch of noise and it's in vain and you might win an argument but you won't win a soul to Jesus. That's why we have to speak the truth in love. let everything you do, everything you do, not just some of the things, everything you do be done with love. We need to be, and you look at that, the rough, gruff, tough, fighting soldiers who are also loving soldiers. And I was reading about Abraham Lincoln and why they called him a man who was both made of velvet and steel. As a matter of fact, one of the poets, Carl Sandburg, he wrote this of President Abraham Lincoln. He said, not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on earth who is both steel and velvet, who hold in his heart and mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable. And there's Abraham Lincoln, our president, during the bloodiest war in the history of our nation, which is rooted in racism, where uh, over, well over, and we don't know the exact number, but at least 600,000 soldiers died. And it looked like there was no answer. But the Lord raised up a man who was made of both velvet and steel. And when you begin to read the history of Abraham Lincoln and some of the decisions that he made, uh it is pretty pretty amazing, you know, very loving, very gracious. We know after the war, he pardoned many soldiers who were condemned to die, very gracious, very loving, very godly, very compassionate. But when it came to certain decisions that needed to be made, for example, when one of his majors uh, there was a battle, and uh, one of his majors didn't want a complete victory. You know he kind of let him get away because he said well that's not the game we just kind of want to go through this whole thing and somehow end up with a compromise at the end when Abraham Lincoln found out about him he called him in he said is this true is this your heart you're not really for us and the guy said it's true and so he said then you're dismissed and this guy who had a lot of friends amongst this whole thing and his uncle was a general He went and he did all the politics and all the things to try to reinstate himself into that place. And this guy's son even died in the war and he brought that to Abraham Lincoln. Three times he appealed for him to change his mind and he said, no, you're not good for our nation. And so you have to have both. You have to have that, that velvet side, that loving side. But you also have to know when certain decisions need to be made. And so... You know, Paul here. I think he had that heart. be said even manliness needs to be balanced with loveliness. And so, as a church, you guys, we learn these things. And I pray you would watch and and stand fast in the faith and be brave and strong. And let everything that you do be done with love. And we learn about uh, you know Timothy and Apollos, and next we learn about this guy Stephanus. Look at verse fifteen. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied... For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. We saw in 1 Corinthians one sixteen that Paul baptized Stephanus. He was one of the few guys that Paul baptized in his family. And his name means crowned. And so apparently his household there in Corinth was the beginning. They were kind of like the first ones who got saved. And a lot of times what happens is they're the first ones and then through them, others get saved. And so... They had a, a pretty special place there in Corinth. They marked the beginning of the Christian community. And so Paul here, he speaks about them. Notice again in verse 15 that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Uh, if you have a King James, it says they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And that's interesting. Addiction, right? And the word, it means appointed or ordained. They, they kind of, they said, here, uh, use my life. They made themselves available for ministry. You know, I remember when my children were young, one of the first uh, books that they ever had was a little book, and it's still in print, believe it or not. It says, it's the name of the book is Jesus Wants All of Me. Jesus Wants All of Me. And so I remember I would read this to them, and I was a fairly new Christian, and I just remember that as I was reading it to them, I was reading it to me, how Jesus wants all of me. And that's that that was this family, stephanus and his family. they devoted themselves to the ministry. You know I learned in a simple and profound way, that God just wants all of me. And by His grace, He helped me to devote myself to the ministry. And sometimes people ask, well, what do you and Shelley do? And maybe we should go out and get a hobby, huh? But we, we serve the Lord. Our individual relationship with God, our family. We're still, we're still fighting for our family. And there are things that, you know, we love our family. And then the ministry. That's our life. That's our life. You know, now we see this guy, same thing. And what ends up happening is Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, they're leaders and served in the ministry. And, and then they, 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 you know, visited Paul. And it's an interesting thing how he says there in, in verse uh, uh, 16 that you submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Paul is asking them to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. You know, and again, that, this is all part of just having a healthy church. You don't want there to be uh, a lack of leadership or a lack of structure. You know, pray for your leaders, encourage your leaders, uh, be submissive to them, not just from the outside, but on the inside. And if you ever have an issue with a leader, talk to them. You know, when there's a healthy atmosphere of love and, and like Paul was being a partner, not just a commander, but then there's still, you know, the organizational structure and submission, you're going to have a, a beautiful church. How beautiful it is when we see that. Again, earlier Paul allowed freedom for others to follow the Lord, but it doesn't erase the structure that's necessary in serving the Lord. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey those who rule over you, And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. But let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. And so your leaders, one day, uh, their responsibility is to watch out for your soul, you know, to pray for you, to feed you, to try to make good decisions as a church, and how will we, you know, have opportunities for you to grow, and just so many different things And so he said, you know, be obedient, be submissive. Don't be a a, a burden to them. Don't be a grief to them, Paul says, because then that would not be good for you. And so it's so cool when you have that heart of submission. You know, these guys uh, uh, then went to Paul. More than likely, they came to Ephesus and they told him about the reports of Chloe, that it was true. And they started talking to Paul. But when they went to Paul in Ephesus, it's so cool. It says right there that they refreshed him. Look again in verse 17. I was glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. For what was lacking on your part, they supplied. Notice, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. And so it's so cool. And I want you guys to know that your leaders need that. Not just me. We have other pastors. We have other leaders. But me too. (laughs) We need your friendship. We need your fellowship. We need your words of encouragement. We need to know that you're with us. This word right here, refreshed, it means uh, to cause or permit one to cease from labor in order to recover and collect strength. And so when you go and you do that and you're supportive in that sense and that kind of gives your leader that time where he can really regather his strength in order to serve. Paul says acknowledge such people. Such people deserve recognition. Show your appreciation to such who serve so well. And so he continues now in closing greetings in verse 19. He says, Therefore uh, the churches of Asia greet you. And That would probably be Revelation two and three. Remember the seven churches. Aquila and Priscilla greet you. Notice heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. I like that. You know how sometimes you go to church service and they're like you're like you leave and you're like they didn't even say hi to me. <laughs> Here he says, listen, everybody uh, greets you, and greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, I was reading on this, and it was interesting how Paul was saying uh, to do this, and they were saying that now nowadays, if they were to write that in today 's vernacular, they would say, "Give everyone a, a firm handshake we can 't do that, <laughs> but hopefully we will very soon my brother in law gave me a hug today, and that was that was good. <laughs> But you know, it's just that love, you know, greet each other. Um, uh, The the salutation, Paul says in verse 21, with my own hand, Paul's. And so he wanted to validate that this was indeed a letter from him because there were some forgeries out there. And so he says, listen, in closing, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so um, what he's basically saying, the New Living Translation puts it this way. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. And what's he saying? That you're not going to make it to heaven without Jesus. That's all. He's not saying, you know, hey, curse you. He's not saying that. He's just saying, listen, Jesus died on a cross for us. He rose again. He made a way. He opens the door. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. I mean, if you're hearing my words and you have not yet given your life to Christ... It is, it is imperative. You have to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Or you can't go to heaven. He made a way. That's all Paul is saying right there. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so we have that word in the Aramaic, anathema. And then the word in the Greek, maranatha, which is my prayer, oh Lord, come. Come, you're the only answer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Paul here at the very end is a very corrective letter. Some people say 1 Corinthians can be summarized in that he's spanking the saints. But he does it in love. And so I pray you would know that. I pray that the Lord will bless you. If you're not a Christian yet, maybe you're watching through the internet, give your life to Christ now. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have tomorrow guaranteed. You know, the Bible talks about our lives being like these flowers that are here one day and then the next day they're gone. The other day I was walking with my wife and we saw these beautiful flowers and we took a picture of them. We put it on our website. If you go to our website, the women's page, you're going to see these beautiful flowers there. But then it was like, man, three days later, they were gone. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of those flowers are like that. Like, whoa, now it's pretty ugly right there. You know, that's our life. No one has tomorrow guaranteed. Today is a day of salvation. God brought you to this service. God's brought you to this video because he loves you. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus, that you would give your life to Him today. You believe and trust in Him today, His shed blood to wash away your sins and make you holy and righteous and justified with that home in heaven. And it's so cool because a life, it doesn't just start then. It starts now, the moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For the church, be strong. I pray you would take these commands, these imperatives, and put them all into practice. And be a co-labor. Find out where you're supposed to be as a, as a church, you know, uh, participant. And then just ask God to give you the grace to be faithful.